Welcome to the Davidson Day Community Podcast. My name is Pete Moore, Head of School at Davidson Day. Each episode, you will meet different members of our supportive and diverse community. You'll hear fascinating stories from parents, board members, alumni, and the wonderful people who work at Davidson Day. In this episode of the Davidson Day Community Podcast, I have the privilege of speaking with Davidson Day parent, Holly Paper. Holly is an executive at Train Technologies, where she was recently promoted to President of Life Science Solutions. This summer, Holly became chair of Davidson Day's Board of Trustees. Holly is a remarkable leader and was named Enterprise Woman of the Year in 2019. So Holly, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate all your time. Now it's great to be here. And so you have an interesting life history. Can we start with where you were born and what led you to study electrical engineering at college? Yeah, so I was born in Michigan from the upper Midwest in the United States. And you know what? I've always loved math and science. I was really interested in technology. And so like a lot of kids, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew that I liked things that were STEM related. And so when I went to school, there were only a couple of options back then in terms of places to go. And I ended up in in the electrical engineering space. So it wasn't ever some big vision to go be an electrical engineer, but instead just a passion around math and science and technology that, that led me down that path. And so what are some of the things that you love to do in your free time as a child? I've always been an adventurer, an explorer, and and just a learner. And so whether it was trying to find a new place to go on my bike or playing with different kind of toys or in, in new areas in our yard, also a voracious reader from the time that I learned how to read and, and then um, played sports as well. So a little bit of everything, but but I think the underlying piece was just learning, learning about new areas, new restaurants, new things to do. You grew up with a large family as well in and around Minneapolis. Is that right? Most of my life has been in the Twin Cities. And yes, I've got about 100 cousins. I come from a very big Midwestern family, and they're all still in the land of my people. And what did your parents do? Yeah, um, great question. My mother was a teacher in a private school, elementary teacher. So I grew up kind of appreciating education from early on. And, and my dad worked for the local power company and was in management for them. So very modest roots, blue collar roots in, in the Midwest and learned about work ethic at a very early age. And you've lived in a number of different places and your husband's also from another country. How have these things influenced your thinking and view of the world? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. As I mentioned, I've always been kind of an adventurer. So when I first started getting started in my career, I traveled a ton with any pennies that I would save and and tried to go explore the world. And then, of course, I met my husband, who's South African, and we have, as to your point, moved and lived in a couple of different places. It's really been interesting because it's eye-opening in that you need to be seek to understand first and, and, and know that the environment you came from is maybe not the same environment that others came from. So there's a piece of resiliency there. There's a piece of of being humble. And it's also kind of this longing to learn, right? And, and get to know new people and, and understand where others come from. So I think there's some of those core values that that have been ingrained in me, certainly from childhood, but much more so in my formative adult years as I've had these different experiences. And then once you graduated, you went and lived in Menlo Park. Is that right? Yes. I lived in San Francisco Bay Area for probably eight or so years, right after my undergrad. And what was it like spending time in that area of the world? There was so much happening 
in around the Bay Area during that time? Yeah, you know what? It was really exciting, right? So here's a little girl from the Midwest, shows up in California. First flight that I ever took was out to my first job out there. Lived a very insular, sheltered life growing up. We just didn't have much money to do those things. So it was a really interesting experience living in the Bay Area, which is a culturally diverse potpourri. And, you know, so very different than anything that, that I'd seen or grown up at. I grew a lot as a human and was exposed to so many different cultures and different things that maybe I didn't have exposure to. But it was also a really fun time to be in tech. And, you know, the technology industry and technology was changing so much that it was just a great time to be out there with really smart people trying to change the world. And it's very energizing to be around people who have that kind of passion that that drives them. And what was your first role out there? Yeah, I went to work for Intel Corporation, the computer chip company. I had a job with them where it was a what they call the rotation program in the corporate world, where you, you come in and you spend a year doing one thing and a year doing another. So there's about a three-year program, and it's kind of a soft landing for kids to enter into business. So I, I went in in one of their rotation programs, and that's where I learned to love marketing and the front end of the business. And they, they taught me that. And so my first role was selling and marketing microprocessors. And how did you take that step from studying electrical engineering? How did the job at Intel come about? You know, by happenstance, a career fair at, at the University of Minnesota where I was. And, you know, the college recruiters came in and I was walking around trying to network and making some connections and met the right person and a couple of strokes of luck later and landed a killer job. And then what led your family to Davidson Day? So my husband and I have, have moved around the U.S. a bit. His job took us to Charlotte just about nine years ago. And so we were new to the area, new to the South, and getting sorted here. And, and one of our core values is education. And we firmly believe that education is one of the secrets to success and to happiness because there's a learning element and just expanding your perspective and scope. And so we knew that education was really important. We researched and said, okay, we're living in Lake Norman and we want to go to a school that values education and advanced education and college preparatory types of things and entered Davidson Day. We looked at probably a dozen schools in Charlotte and across the area. We are researchers as well. This is an important decision. This is our child. And Davidson Day floated to the top for a bunch of reasons. We've been very happy and here ever since. And I'd like now to talk about leadership and you've got a really interesting journey when it comes to becoming a leader. And so why did you decide to go from studying electrical engineering to doing your MBA? And as part of that, you focused on marketing strategy and international business. You know, I think like a lot of students, right, coming out of school, it's really hard to figure out what you want to do. And so whether you're coming out of high school into college right, or coming out of college, a lot of us are a work in progress. Some people are lucky enough to know at a very young age exactly what they want to do. They pursue that passion and they make it happen. Most of the rest of us have kind of got to feel our way through that. And so I, I mentioned before, I went to engineering school, not even really understanding what electrical engineering was, just knowing I loved math and science. But I got into the workforce and very quickly I started to learn, hey, I like the creative side of this a little bit more. And, you know, you start to learn more about yourself. And I certainly did that. And being around smart people and finding some good role models saying, hey, I want to be like that person helps lead me to my MBA and, and kind of using that as a pivot path. 
So it was really about trying to find my way and, and identifying things that look really good. And like all of us, there's a couple of swings and misses first, and then you end up in your lane. What was your first formal leadership role and what were the main challenges that you faced? So probably about 10 years into my career, so 10 years after my undergrad, I was a director level person at, at a company in the Midwest called Eaton Corporation. And it was the first time I really had people reporting to me. And it was really difficult for me coming from self-sufficient doer. So, you know, really only responsible for myself. And I knew if I worked hard, good things would happen. And I was very successful doing that. As a leader, now suddenly you have other people and it's not really about what you do or how hard you work anymore. It's about motivating people and helping them and removing roadblocks and letting getting, getting out of their way so your people can do their thing. And so it was a big transition for me to go from everything I controlled to trying to help other people succeed. And honestly, I think it's something that everybody should try out at some point because there's a lot of personal growth that comes from that. How did you manage that transition? Because it's not easy going from doing your thing and, and being rewarded and feeling great about that to suddenly having to help other people do the work and, and manage different personalities on a team. If you look back now, how did that first few years go? It was pretty brutal. It was brutal for me. It was brutal for people who worked for me because I've got really high standards and I work hard. And so I was just like, well, everybody else needs to work hard, right? And so I think we all learned a lot and I got a lot of stuff done, but but I was pretty intense, right? And if you're an intense person and you bring that same intensity to leadership, that may or may not be a good recipe because not everybody wants to be that intense. And so it, it took a while to understand that and maybe to dial down some of my personal attributes and, and let the teams go. And I think we're all still a work in progress, right? And, and I still am today. And I probably should have asked this to begin with, but how do you define leadership? You know, I, I think leadership is an act. It's not a title. It's a behavior. In the corporate world, we talk about people with leadership behaviors versus the leadership title. I think it's about kind of motivating, setting the stage, removing roadblocks, a set of behaviors that allow teams to succeed. And so there's an inspirational visionary piece of it. There's a encouraging and development piece. There's the, hey, just take the bullets for the team piece. Underneath all of it, it's, it's really a set of behaviors or a set of actions. And so whether you are in day one of your career or day three million of your career, it's not about how high you go or what your title is. It's more about how you behave and the culture that you create in your ecosystem in terms of what your relationships are with your, your people you work with, the people who work for you and the people who work above you. That's a terrific answer. And it dovetails really nicely into the next question I have. And you've started talking about this, but what do you feel makes a good leader? And what are some of those behaviors that you feel are most important for leaders to demonstrate? Yeah, so there, there's a long list of these things. The first thing I would say is leading by example. As a leader, you need to model the behavior you want. I think there's an accessibility piece. And I find the higher that I go in my career, making sure to take the time to be accessible and, and go to work the work is done and go see where things are happening because it's very easy to become out of touch if you're not doing that. I think there's a passionate piece and there's a visionary piece, but kind of being real as well, right? At the end of the day, we're all humans. And in order to get other humans to want to work with you and to tell you things that you need to know for your job, you have to be accessible and, and a reasonable person. Again, I really like the way that you phrase that, but it's very easy to become distant from where the work is being done. 
Something that I've found in a way a bit challenging recently is I've been teaching this entrepreneurial class with Mark Palmer and it's really great and we're talking about developing businesses and we're working with businesses in the community and one of the elements that we're looking to incorporate into that is also leadership development and leadership training for the the people in the class. And so we're starting with what I think are some really core books, which have some just terrific leadership lessons in there. And we started off with the seven habits of highly effective people, which is a classic, but it also talks about looking after yourself, setting a vision, understand the difference between what is important versus urgent or like simple fundamental things that when speaking to, about them to young people, in a way, it doesn't sound grand enough right? A lot of the foundational stuff is much simpler than that in a way, but it's hard to do in a consistent basis. Yes. It's all of those little things that seem like common sense, right? Sometimes it's easy to forget when we get pretty busy and and we're in the work zone, for instance. Yeah. Last night we had a a diversity forum and one of the, the former students of Davidson Day was speaking and they were talking about just the invisible struggles. They they said they now look at people and recognize the potential struggles that they may be having. It's very easy to forget that if you work in an organization like we have around 80 to 100 employees here. And at any one time, someone's going through a really difficult time. How do you support them? But also recognize that what we bring to work is a huge component of how we're going to function during the day. I think it's right. The pandemic has made us more patient and understanding and tolerant of all of the things that make us each unique. And by that, I mean, right in the, in the corporate world, we are spending a lot of time on video calls. And I can't even tell you how many times, you know, there's a kid hanging from a parent's neck or dogs jumping into the picture or, you know, just things going absolutely berserk behind people when they're trying to work. And it gives you a whole new appreciation for all the things that we're trying to balance. And all of that stuff was still there before when we were just on the phone call, but we couldn't see it. And there's a different kind of patience and tolerance that I think we've all learned to accept more of each other. And we get to know more of each other, honestly, once you see the real world, like what's happening behind people. And and I think breaking down some of those barriers has been really helpful from a leadership standpoint and and frankly, just a making it fun to go to work standpoint. I've read a lot of Brene Brown's work and she talks about vulnerability and through the pandemic, you're seeing these windows into people's lives and the, ch- and the challenges that they're facing. Have you become more open through the pandemic? I certainly have become more open and I'm sharing more with people I work with than I ever have because it was just not the thing to do before. And as a leader, I'm spending a lot more time just talking to people in my organization and on my team. So I I probably spend 20 to 30% of my time not doing my job, honestly, and just talking to people either who work for me or frankly, maybe who don't, that just need some coaching or development. And I found that because I'm more accessible, I'm, I'm more effective at my job, even if it's accessible to people that I wouldn't normally work with. You know, besides my personal behavior and, and kind of sharing more, by making myself available more to others, I think it's helping kind of the mental health, honestly, of the team and the organization. But it's also helping me be in, more in touch with what this looks like. Yeah, I find that I'm incredibly deliberate with all of my one-on-one meetings. And I th- used to do it before the pandemic to, to some extent, but now it's how are the kids, how's the family? Like, I know your mother's been struggling. How's that been going? It's really quite interesting just how much more being plugged into the personal side of, of the people you work with is. 
Now, in 2019, you were named Enterprise Woman of the Year. How did that award come about? Yes, it was actually an industry award. And, you know, I spend a lot of my time mentoring, especially in the STEM space, because I didn't have a lot of role models when I first started out, and it took me a while to find my way. So I spend a lot of time with a younger generation and helping with some career mentoring around that. I also am, I do a lot, as my company does, in the sustainability space. I speak a lot on this. I've, I'm a big advocate. And so all of those things, it just kind of got me on the radar screen of this particular organization. And the funny thing about this one is sometimes with these awards, they're fake awards, right? Somebody puts your name in and you kind of win it and everybody celebrates. This one just organically happened. And so I was really proud that it came out because of some of these things that that I've been doing that I don't even think of as special. It's just what I do every day. Yeah, that is cool. Congratulations. Uh, And on to other great news. I recently read that you've been appointed president of one of Tran's new businesses, Tran Technologies Life Science Solutions. Congratulations on your appointment. Thank you. And what does this new role involve? This is a really fun one. When you work for a big company, sometimes you don't get the chance to be an entrepreneur the way that I like to. So we're, we're making an acquisition in the biopharmaceutical space, and it's a company that helps with equipment to make vaccines and to make pharmaceutical drugs. And so I'm running the operation here as part of our company, and we're, we're standing up a new business unit specifically in the biopharmaceutical space, which is really fast-growing, exciting space. So stepping into a role where you've newly acquired a company, what are some of the things as a leader that you're looking out for or that you want to do as you establish yourself and get to know people? It's a good question. There's actually a really great book on this around called The First 90 Days. But generally speaking, taking the time to learn. And, you know, this is a space that I don't know a lot about, that I'm learning more about every day. And the company we're acquiring knows an extraordinary amount. And there's some very talented people there. So digging in and going to see customers and going to where the work is done and looking at exactly how these companies are making things and the value that we're bringing. There's a learning curve piece. And then there's the building the team. And taking really talented people from the team that that is coming on board with the company and then supplementing that with some of our team, but getting the right people on the bus to be able to go and, and take on this new frontier. I like the way that you're talking about the new frontier. You're such a humble person. It's It's easy to not notice how much of a trailblazer you are. You study electrical engineering. There's not a lot of women who do that. There's not a lot of women 20 odd years ago who were working in technology companies. You're now, there's not as many women who are presidents of of larger companies or divisions of, of companies. What's it like being a trailblazer? Like someone who seems to be pushing down barriers and and doing things that can be very hard for women to do just not always given the opportunities. And I'm really interested in this because I grew up with a very strong mother. I have a sister who's entrepreneur. I'm married to a strong woman. I have two young daughters. Like this is just something I think a lot about and worry about for my girls is just sometimes the barriers that will be put in their way and how they overcome them. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of work. It's no joke to, to be kind of a trailblazer, to be what I call the only. Like, I can't even tell you how many times in engineering school I was the only woman in any of my classes. And most of the jobs I've been, I'm the only woman at the table. You just have to have a strong sense of self and, and what you're doing. And, and honestly, some really great mentors that can help you kind of along the way. And I've had some folks that even before I understood really what a mentor was, opened doors for me and, and helped blaze the path for me. 
I'm wired to be a pioneer anyway. So I don't think about it as being a female leader. I think about it as being a great leader and it's hard work, right? And and it's worth it because you, I find that there's so many places that even though I'm the only woman at the table, for instance, there's just a different perspective that I bring. And I, I know that that perspective is appreciated. So it's a lot of fun, but it's hard work. Many of the women leaders that I've spoken to over the years have just said that they felt that they had to often put in sort of double the work, triple the work, just to be given some of the opportunities that might have been handed to others. What was your experience? I feel like I've always had to be twice as smart, twice work twice as hard, hustle twice as fast. That's changing though. And, and I'm really proud to see how it's changing. And I think the generation coming up behind me will hopefully have an easier path there. I will say it matters to the company you work for. And I happen to work for one that's, that's tremendously supportive on this front. And on top of everything else, you are also an entrepreneur and were the general manager of an award-winning business, Bumbalooza. How did you get involved in this business? So right when we first came to Charlotte, we weren't sure how much we'd like Charlotte, honestly. And I had always wanted to try my hand at a small business. And, and so this felt like the perfect time. It was kind of a hobby gone wild kind of scenario. So, I, you know, I was my pioneer at heart, as you probably are hearing, and always wanted to do this, made it happen, scaled it. You know, we had about 20 or so people working for me and had a lot of fun, was working really, really hard and, and realized through that journey I, a bunch of important lessons. One, I, I'm glad I did it. And two, I probably won't do it again. <laughs> and that I really do enjoy working for big companies for a bunch of reasons. But it was a great experience. And, and I think something that everybody should try at least once. What products did you sell? Gluten-free baking mixes and gluten-free, nut-free kind of products. It was an idea before its time, before kind of the big celiac, haddo kind of boom and focused on a very specialty market. And really, that's why we grew so fast, because there was nothing else like it out there. A couple of different questions. One, did did that help you, hinder you? And the other one is, it can feel like two separate worlds, like you're in the, either the the corporate world or the entrepreneurial space. How was that for you? I mean, it was a little daunting to go back into the corporate world. And what I've discovered, and it's actually ended up helping me, is that I discovered kind of sense of purpose, what I really enjoy doing and being able to articulate that and clarify that in a way that I hadn't before. So it's helped me tremendously in trying to figure out what do I want to do. So for instance, I'm running a business now for a train, but it's not just any business. It's a pioneer kind of business. It's an entrepreneurial business. And so for me, stepping out of a corporate world and being kind of starting a company like that isn't materially different than the kind of thing I do every day for, for a company. And so it just helped me clarify the kinds of roles that I'm attracted to and that I add the most value to. Switching the conversation a little bit to Davidson Days, you've served on our board of trustees for three years and became the chair of the board in the summer. What are your priorities for the board of trustees and Davidson Day sort of this year and the years ahead? That's a great question. And I certainly enjoy being on the board and I think it, it plays such an important role for the school. I think the years ahead, it's really about kind of strategy and vision and in particular post-pandemic good. We've done a tremendous job of navigating through the situation that you know, we, there's a lot of big strategic decisions in front of us as a school and a community about where we want to go and what we're doing. And we have a great mission. We have a great purpose. 
But there's still some good work to do there in terms of continuing to refine that and, and evolve it. And so it's just a really great time for all of us to reset. And there's a lot of fun strategy and vision work ahead of us. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. One of the things that we have set up with uh, the other help of the trustees is the the strategy group on the board of trustees to begin looking at some of those big questions that we have to answer. We have such, I believe, incredible opportunity here. Now, if we can sort of capture just the people who have reset themselves, who have decided to move to the the Lake Norman, Charlotte area and be very thoughtful, intentional about how we're marketing the school, then I feel that the school could be in like a really strong position not just in the, the short term, but the much, much longer term as well. You're a parent at the school, you're a trustee. What is some of the, the things that make up that the school that you think we could amplify or just really enhance? You know, there's a piece around community and a safe bubble that we all live in and have students in. And what, what I mean is our teachers know our students, our administration knows our students, and the kids mostly all know each other, right? And there's something that's very good about that and, and the safety that comes with other people knowing you. And, and I think the other piece is global readiness, getting kids ready for what it's really going to take to compete on the global stage. There's some really great things that we're doing today that I love, and there's certainly opportunities to continue to evolve that. We were talking actually earlier today. Our vision speaks to producing well-rounded, compassionate leaders to succeed on the global stage. And just that ability to move seamlessly from culture to culture, from country to country, the understanding that people will bring to the workplace, to relationships, different perspectives and different points of view. And even if they grew up in a completely different city, town, country, and have different religious beliefs, political beliefs, that you can still work well together. You can still create great things with with one another. The beautiful things about our community is that it is people's perspectives and views are really varied, and but people are respectful to one another. There's many f- people who want their kids to be ready for the world that's in front of them. It's exciting times. It is exciting times. And because my husband is, is from another country and we have a lot of friends who live in different countries around the world that have children my child's age, it is so fascinating to see how connected and how similar this next generation of kids are. There's an opportunity that, that we all didn't have, but there's also competitiveness, right? Know your competition and, and the world is evolving kind of pretty rapidly. So it's exciting to see where that will go. And I, I'm excited to be part of that in terms of the school and, and helping us continue to evolve on that front. The role that a school like ours can play is we have very similar sort of family structures, right? Like uh, my wife's American, you're American, your husband's not from the US and you don't have much family around here, if any, do you? Nope, we know. Yeah, and so we're in exactly the same position, but you can also raise your child in circumstances where we don't have family around, but they can feel very connected, like they have an extended family here, their teachers care so much. Like I, earlier today, we um, had parent-teacher conferences and I got off the call with my TK daughter, her teacher, and just the love and support that she had for Elise was just really quite remarkable. In a way, that replaces some of the the family that we're missing when the teachers are just so invested in the well-being of my kid. That's what I think also the role of School Like Ours will play as we attract people from other places to this area. That is something that we can offer because of our size and the culture that we have here. 
So now we're going to move into the rapid fire questions to conclude our conversation. The first one I have is what is the book or books you most frequently recommend to others? The number one book that I talk about all the time is Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's been outstanding for me as a parent. It has been outstanding for me as a corporate leader. And it's really about approaching things with a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And she talks a lot about the idea of the power of yet. So you haven't done it yet. And I think it's it's changed everything and how we reward our child to how we relate to our friends and how I motivate my teams. And how has it played into how you motivate your team? Especially in these days, just like anything in, in the corporate world, we've got big daunting goals. And every year we're asking for more. We need people to work harder, right? The bar continues to get raised. And it could be really daunting to kind of go tackle that. But as an organization and with my team, we spend a lot of time saying, okay, well, we can't do it yet, right? But what would it take to do it? And it just causes a different discussion versus, well, that's really hard and demotivating people. Instead, they're engaged in trying to figure out how to solve it and how to go hit a new frontier that maybe we haven't considered yet. Yeah, it's a terrific book. It's been such an impactful one in education for many different reasons. One of the reasons I love it so much is just when they talk about rewarding kids for effort, not for achievement. One of the things that I really like is when they talk about If a child gets an A, saying to them, how much effort did you put into that? Because you might get an A with very little effort, but a B, you might have poured your heart and soul into it. And that's helped us, my wife and I, as the last few years, as Ruby's moved into the middle school and getting grades, she'll say, I got an A for this. And it's just like, well, what sort of effort you put in? Yeah, I I worked really hard and sometimes she'll get a a B or something. And you know that she's just really, really put in the the work for that. And so we, we congratulate her even more so for the second one. Yeah. If we can tell our kids, hey, you're doing well because you're smart versus you're working hard. The first time they face adversity, they'll probably not have the skill set to go take the hill and to change it. The world is getting more complex and our problems are getting harder. We need to be raising children that are ready to take the next hill and have the attitude that, hey, I've got this and I've got the skills to go do it if I work hard enough and I I bring my unique talents to the table. And what are some of the things you love doing in your free time? Um, Travel, although we've been locked down a bit, we've redefined a little bit what travel and exploration looks like via car, but but generally global travel, we take a lot of adventure trips, a voracious reader, family and food, all things food. You'll find me in the kitchen if I'm stressed or if I'm happy or if I'm bored, I'll be cooking or baking. What's your go-to baking? Like if you are stressed? Yeah, I think I, I'm a, I am definitely a stress baker. So when I'm stressed, I bake and cookies and pies and cakes up here. I would say cakes, like big, fabulous, complicated cakes. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm much more simple. It's just like uh, like chocolate chip cookies that are ready in half an hour or so, um, but, you know, they, they melt as they come out. So if you could learn a new skill, what would it be and why? Cheesemonger is what I would say here. Back to my food and fun piece, because I think there's a way to travel the world via food. And I think cheese is one of those things. And so I'm totally obsessed with um, learning different types of why and where and how you get different flavors. And so I think there's a whole unexplored kind of area there that I think is super fascinating. So if I had time, you'd find me studying about cheese. (laughs) 
That is cool. When I grew up, my dad, uh, talking about sort of going around the world and, you know, there is something that sort of connects us is he was and still is very much into wine. So we would be going to these incredible vineyards with my dad. And then when I went to college, my dad's gift to me was a wine subscription. And so I would get this box of wine with like all different vineyards throughout Australia. And what was cool is just as I've spent time in other countries is it has been something that's connected me with people is is wine right the just the, the the history behind it and also the way it's grown you know people have such passion for it in the last 5 years what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life i think this one i would go back to the growth mindset and the power of yet has changed everything as i mentioned you know from parenting to my behavior at work nice what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours you know, work hard, find good role models and mentors. So often I see now students either coming out of high school or college put so much pressure on themselves to be, they, they see right their parents being wildly successful and don't realize all the trials and tribulations in the past to actually get there. And so it's about hard work, putting the hours in, right? And whatever you choose to do, being good or the best at, at doing that, but also finding some role models and some people that you can relate to to say, okay, that I want to go do that. For most of us, we, we had to go seek those out. And the sooner you can find you know, a few folks that are going to help knock down roadblocks and be thought partners along the way, I think that the better it is in whatever your path is. We're in similar positions where we came from blue-collar roots, and I'm sure your child has the more opportunities than you did and hasn't seen the late nights, the sheer hard work that both you and your husband have put in. How do you go about sort of instilling that work ethic where it just seems like things have always been this way, that opportunities have always been here? Yeah, it's interesting. I think one of the Saudi princes recently said, you know, my grandfather rode a camel, my father rode a camel, I drive a Mercedes, my son is going to have a Land Rover, but his son after that will probably ride a camel again. And, And his point was success breeds complacency, complacency breeds laziness, laziness breeds weakness, and weakness breeds hunger. Like the cycle continues. And so we, we work a lot on, hey, how do we make sure that we use the advantages that we have to create advantage and not entitlements? I don't know what the right answer is. I'll tell you, we talk about it all the time and we try to encourage and reinforce hard work. My son's got his first job here at 12 years old mowing lawns for the neighbor and making sure even though we don't have to do that, that, that we're doing some of those things that we grew up having to do and, and hoping that some of it will stick. And final question I have is what inspires you? Big ideas and interesting people. I love big ideas, people who kind of think outside the box or have orthogonal perspective on things. The older I get, the more I appreciate kind of just interesting people with interesting life experiences. Yeah, I learn from reading, but mostly I I learn from other people and the experiences they have and the perspectives they have. And and so I'm finding every year more and more that, that it's on the people front versus the idea or learning front. And that is exactly why I want to speak to you today, because you're such an interesting person. It's the, one of the reasons for this podcast is just to capture some of those conversations, because we have incredible people in our community, and it is so much fun learning from others. So Holly, thank you so much for all your time today. I am deeply grateful for all you do for our school. We are blessed to have you on our board and to be the chair of our board. So thank you for all you do. Perfect. Thank you. This has been great. 
You've been listening to the Davidson Day School Community Podcast, which is hosted by Pete Moore, head of school at Davidson Day. The podcast is recorded on campus in the heart of the Lake Norman area. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to podcasts at davidsonday.org. That's podcasts at davidsonday.org.